that's all right for you That's all right now mama Any way you do But that's all right winner of the Iris Prize. Congratulations. Wow, that's, that's quite overwhelming. <laughs> Head to our website, then click on Festival. This is where you'll find and watch all of this year's films. Hello, welcome to the Iris Podcast. This year, we're all about Best of British. Welcome to opening night of the 14th Iris Prize LGBT Plus Film Festival. For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anyamosigwe's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. 
From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buck the success that it is today. Fantastic. Well, look, welcome to the Drama Showcase 2 Q&A. My name is Claire Anyamosigwe. I am the Managing Director at Bath. And this is our 15th anniversary. This is our 15th year of programming, <laughs> predominantly Black British film, working class, diverse filmmakers from all around the world. Today, I'm joined by Avril Russell and Stefan Davis, Misha Nadine, and they're gonna be talking to us about their films which are showing on our website right now. So you can go and have a look. So I'm just gonna welcome Avril since we're probably going alphabetically ordered, but also <laughs> ladies first. Hi. Just introduce yourself. Tell us about the title of your film and how you came to direct this fantastic piece of work. Okay, well, um, hi, my name is Avril E. Russell and I'm a writer, director. My film is called All on a Summer's Day. Um, I've wanted to make films since the age of seven and it has been a lot harder than I thought it would be but with this film and with Buff's recognition and platform it feels like I finally achieved something. <laughs> Brilliant. You're welcome, you're very very welcome. So just talk to us quickly about the length of time from writing which is brilliant to know that you're a writer as well, from writing to pre-production to going into production, to then editing. What was that process like? How long did that take you? Well, um, it's hard to say because the story lived with me for a long time. I first right. um, wrote a short that the film is based on in the mid nineties <clears throat> um, for uh, Lenny Henry's production company. It's a short film called Hard Shoulder. And it was sort of shown at a local film festival in Nottingham where I'm from. And at that time, Quentin Tarantino was the patron of this film festival, pretty random. Oh. He was in the audience the night my short film was shown. And um, afterwards, he came running after me, like, oh my God, oh my God, I love you, Maya. He's going on to me, like, blah, 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 saying, that would make a great feature film. And it stuck with me for ages that, yeah, it could make a great feature film. Um, and eventually, uh, I decided, 
quite a while later, over a decade later, let's say, that um, I'm not getting anywhere trying to go through the mainstream in the usual doors. I'm going to try and do something a, a guerrilla style, something fast, dirty, I can control it. Yes. It comes out the gate and kicks like a mule and ends and, you know, do what I can. Because there's so much talent that, you know, behind the scenes talent, for example, that can't get a fight. And then there's there are actors that can't get seen and people who aren't taken seriously for things. And there's so much negative and so much um, we don't know if in our industry, it, it's quite toxic. And trying to remove myself from that toxicity, I sat down and I wrote something that was gonna be tight, tight, less than 90 minutes, more than 75, let's say that sort of tightness because gorilla, but it's serious. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote the script maybe in a week because it had sort of sat with me for a while. Went through several redrafts, mm -hmm. but, um, and then uh, figuring out the logistics, you have to feed your crew. If it's night shoots, you've got to figure out how to keep them warm. Uh, night shoots also mean you've got to have good equipment. Um, there are moving pieces, so you might need a rig of some kind, or tracks and it starts to get a bit but um you know do you go with that or do you just get your your bag of chips your camcorder and you run around in the bushes <laughs> you have a choice right oh after a certain standard though and I can't allow um standards to be perceived as lower than they they are so you get caught up although you want gorilla you still need a bit of money. So then I got stuck with some of the, the rounds of the schemes and the schemes and the schemes. And you go through these days where you realize you're just really there to tick a box to show that they had you in the room. And um, so much of it is already prescribed and you get whispers that there are people who've already been chosen, but it's just, you know, and it's really cynical and it's really depressing. Um, but uh, ultimately I came away with a lot of interest in the script, but no money. And then suddenly money arrived out of the blue. I mean, that's a whole other story. But when people you've never met suddenly say they wanna help you make a film, um, what do you do? They're gonna give you a small chunk of cash. Yeah. Do you do it or do you hang on? Sure, okay, okay. I love that cliffhanger, it's very film-esque. <laughs> Take the money or do you leave it? after the break so <laughs> Visha and Stefan I'm going to bring you guys in now um lovely to see you here can you guys just introduce yourself maybe Misha first and then Stefan and just talk to us about how you came to co-direct uh Tales of the Fabulous okay so um so yes I'm Misha Nadine Elliott um I wrote Tales of the Fabulous in 2012 um, whilst I was at university actually. Um, There's a lot of things happening. I think it was around the time where there was riots. There's a lot of um, um, talk about the black male and how they are treated in society and things like that. So I wanted to show what all the background things are happening that people don't actually see. The media presents us in a, in a way that's not always accurate. So I wanted to show something that's really close to home to a lot of people in our community. Um, so yeah, um, we I started as a play and then um, I brought it to Birmingham because I, I wrote when I was in University of Bedfordshire. 
But then when I went to Birmingham, we brought it and we had a whole new cast. Um, and Stefan was actually the lead character. And then he actually helped me a lot with the directing of the play. And he became the co-director through that because he had a lot of experience. Yeah. And he's also my sister's husband. <laughs> so um, that helps. <laughs> so yeah, he just brought in a lot more, um, of the um, film knowledge and expertise on that. So for what, because he helped direct the theatre production, he might as well direct the film too. Um, so he de definitely helps along the way. So um, you can talk about your journey, Stefan. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, my name is Stefan Davis. I'm an actor, uh, originally trained to be honest degree in acting and um, graduated a long time, back in 2007 from Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts. Um, and when I was on the come up, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the age old, there's not enough parts that are decent for people who look like us. It just never is. Um, and it kind of got to the point where the only way you can really control your destiny is to create your destiny. Um, and so for, for a, lot of, a lot of the elements, I, I lived in London for five years doing the auditioning circuit and things kind of trundling along. Um, and then uh, coming back to Birmingham kind of, almost falling in with um, Shade, who's a producer, and Misha, um, and kind of like just finding a, a, a common a common want, but a common need as well with regards to what we want to see and what we want to do and the potential that is available to us. Um, and so with that, it just kind of it almost like things started to align themselves appropriately for us to be working collaborators. Um, they had things that I felt I could bring my skill set to, um, and and they 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 saw something in me that they felt I could bring a skill set. Bring that I saw things that they needed, and they saw things in me that they could use, and things like that. So it it kind of worked out that way and like we did the we did the play initially and then when the conversation was about it becoming a film it just kind of yeah it just kind of developed that you know what the people who had done the play because they'd they knew the characters they they breathed these characters and also I mean a lot of a lot of us we we signed on with knowing that there probably wasn't going to be any money in it but the passion and the love and, and the wanting, the, the seeing the bigger vision led us to be, you know what, well, if you can see the vision in the play, you're gonna get first dibs when it comes to the film, when we're really looking to make headways and, and break, in, break new ground. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, for me coming on as a director, I've been moving, I've been moving more into the directing area over time um, I've made my own short films. Um, I've, I've directed music videos and things like that. Um, and I, I've worked in production for independent um, films and in um, TV as well. Um, but as for the opportunity to kind of step out without a big institution, big infrastructure and to really do something that, and tell a story that I feel is true to um, us as people, true to the art form, because I, I don't feel like, I feel like our play, I feel like our film rather, I feel like it, it talks to the truth of a moment. It talks to the truth of 
the young black male experience um but it's not it's not meant to necessarily be a this is a a, a gritty dark like this is this is the dirt this is the the grit of 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 the urban experience but it's it's mm. presented in a way that that is that aims to be palatable for a wider audience mm. so whereas um for example um a lot of projects that are released you kind of expect it's got to have swearing in it it's got to have a sex scene in it um it's got to have whole lo whole load of um drug abuse and all these kind of things mm. in it we coming from uh coming from a faith background yeah wanted to tell a story that had all of these elements in but we could tell the story with as wide a reach as possible so that we wouldn't turn off certain audiences to it yeah, um I think and that's, an, an essence of dignity as well yeah yeah and that was really that was really really important for us because mm -hmm. we've 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 often sat down and been like we see a lot of things from like why does it always have to why does it always have to have so much swearing in it why does it always have to have sex in it why does it always have to have drug use in it and it's, it's not to say that there isn't space for those things but we were kind of like well how can we challenge ourselves as filmmakers as storytellers as people mm -hmm. um and also as as people who who want to put these stories to an audience who might not who might quite easily be turned off by these things how can we present it in a palatable mean a palatable way that will give it the broad appeal and broad uh, give it as broad an audience as possible okay wonderful thank you so much for that introduction so avril can you just give us a synopsis of what the storyline is? Because I know we've got a fantastic actress in the movie, Antonia Thomas, and uh, she's left our screens. You know, she was like my woman crush Wednesday for forever when she was in Misfits. So it's so lovely to see her return to what would have been the big screen if we had had the festival in the traditional setting of a cinema, but obviously lovely to see her on um, digitally through your film. What is the storyline? And uh, without giving us, you know, giving the audience too much away to, to, to still be able to want to go and have a look and watch it a bit later today. It's a very simple story uh, about a young woman who uh, is about to give up on her main dream in life, which was to be a musician and join the rat race. And on the way home from the interview to her final gig, a car breaks down and a stranger stops to offer her help. And she's not sure whether to accept it because she's broken down in an area that's locally known as the Highway of Tears. There've been a lot of strange suicides or disappearances in the area. Um, now girl isn't really a natural victim. So yes, yeah, so the tale of fatherless is about um, young men growing up fatherless for multiple different reasons and their struggle to find themselves, their identity as young black men in a society which is actually against um, the way that they are. Um, they all get caught up in different um, situations and it's about them um, finding themselves and who do they rely on for um, guidance, um, what kind of things um, stop them from becoming who they are as well and it's literally who will father the fatherless so that's the question that we ask throughout the whole of the the film and it has some very um, deep messages in there within each character's story. Stephanie, want to add to that? That pretty much covers it. It's definitely a coming of age story that follows the, the, the characters as they, 
they are faced with very big situations that nearly all of them aren't equipped to deal with because they don't necessarily have the the um, role model or the role models in their lives. So they're just trying to find their way through, which can lead to devastating consequences sometimes. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'm Georgie Curran. I co-wrote and directed and edited Small City. Um, it's a film based in London and it's set in like the underbelly of the crime world. But we kind of wanted to just show, we didn't want to glamorise it and we just wanted to show like the truth that someone can end up in a like an amoral situation, someone with morals in that kind of world. Um, and we kind of shot it all guerrilla style, like minimal permits and like locations that would be the location in the script is actually where we went and shot it. Um, almost like a dogma style of filmmaking without really adding too much lights and shooting with existing lighting. And we didn't really do any um, art direction and stuff. It was all, it's almost documentary style, but obviously it's an original drama we wrote ourselves. To, so to cut a long story short, my wife passed away 10 years ago. And, and- I'm So and, sorry to hear that. And when I read that, I stopped. Yeah. Tracks. I was, you know, cause I read every single bio because right. I do the marketing for the festival, but that came up as something that was in the notes. And I was like, E, have you read this? I just asked him annually. I know he probably already had, but I was like, <gasps> Oh my God. I mean, well, I can't even imagine that, Ed, so sorry, but keep going. It's not what the film is all about. But sure, what, sure. What, what happened was when I had to, we, my, when my wife passed away, leaving me with two small children. And mm. the, the question in my head when she went was, what the hell do I tell them in the morning? And I, and I think this film is in very, some very, very small way and part way to answering that question because I, I, what the film sets out to do is to help young people you know young adults with just opening up that subject and considering it loss and bereavement yes. and you know and how the loss of certainly in the film your mother affects every loss that comes after that and subsequent losses yes. and how how the loss emerges in different forms throughout our lives and and how you might stop that the recurrence of that in some way you know so that's that sort of mm -hmm. there are other things to do with it but that was that was it was kind of based on that and a lot of other bits and pieces but yeah that was at the hub of it really thank you thanks for channeling that and obviously ruby you're um the leading actress in the film along with obviously a brilliant cast as well but it's really centered around your sort of emotional journey what drew you to the script and how did you get involved in the project um when i got the script i read it so quickly mm. like i sat down i did not stop reading it it was just amazing like it was the script for me just stood out um I felt like I really related to this character um I felt like I understood Yukira and her journey and why she did the things that she did and I could see myself doing similar things as well um so I just felt like I related to her and I just wanted the job more than anything <laughs> um and I was very lucky that I got it so yeah smashing fantastic and Ed obviously I'm not sure, is this your first film? First film, yeah, first feature. First feature, yeah. so congratulations, because that's um, no small feat at all. <laughs> and um, challenges, what were some of the challenges of bringing this production to light? 
um, all of it sort of thing. <laughs> Snap! I know yeah, that. Yeah, I know. You, know you know what it's like, right? I mean, yeah. my, I mean, something that I did that was a stupid mistake, and I'll never make do it again. Was we we shot the thing in ten days. We shot the thing in two weeks, and literally we were running from one setup to the next, and it was just like so. It was like not just making a film, but it was like making a film plus being on an army assault course. <laughs> To factor, yeah, yeah. With, with like a time clock running, it's like being in a video game. It's like the time going down and life running out and money running out and having to run across, you know, through the woods and set up a camera and, you know, deal with everyone's emotions and feelings and concerns. And so that was real, you know. We needed a bit. I would have done it if I was doing it again. I'd give myself a bit more time. My, yeah, I can relate. I mean, my feature film, No Shade, I shot in six and a half days. Unbelievable unbelievable um and i i completely empathize with you just people's emotions on set running you know putting people in five cabs trying to get across london from one location you just you just you just think i i am actually mad why have i done this yeah <laughs> why am i giving myself this task but actually when you see the finished product you know, all the drama sort of fades away and you think, no, it was definitely worth it. But obviously, you know, next time around, yeah. I'll allow for some rest days and just take that time if yeah. you've got the finances to do it. So, yeah. Well, you see, one of the things that tripped me up a bit is I've, I'd come from the world of adverts. I've made, I've spent a lot of time making adverts, you know. Okay. When you do that, this huge budget, you know, to make a 30 second piece of film is like four times the money that this whole film costs to make. And, and you hire everyone and everything's at your disposable and everything's, everyone's there to get it done. So, so it's sort of everyone does as they're told, but when you make a film, it's completely different. You're working with artists and it's there, it's everyone else's passion project too, you know? Mm. So you have to go into it with a sense of, there is a sort of sense of democracy, Ooh. you know, and you have to take that into account. Sure. And that, and, and that needs time to hear people out and listen to people and, you know, so yeah, it's a very different thing. I totally agree. And Ruby, obviously being an actress and working on this project, for you, what was that challenging moment where you thought, yeah, I've kind of been pushed to my limit or this is something that I've never really experienced before? Um, well, me and Ed, Ed's a first time filmmaker. This was my first time as an actress on a film as well. And I was the lead in the role. So it was right. really it was really intimidating. And I think we were both in a similar position mm. when approaching this project. Um, what's the question again? <laughs> That's all right. The question is just any challenges that you faced? Like, was there a scene that you thought, oh God, can I, can I go there? Can I pull this off physically or emotionally? Because you go through a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Every, every day, every night when I was back at my digs, I was having you know, miniature meltdowns thinking, <laughs> am I going to be able to portray this? Because I want it to be real and I want it to be visceral. And I want, I want the audience to believe that my depiction of Yakira is she would do this stuff. She's crazy enough and impulsive enough and mm. to actually do this, to kidnap her sister. So it was a massive challenge. Um, and I just had to have my fingers crossed uh, that it would it would come across you know in the final edit and I think it did yeah no absolutely it does it's you know it's a flawless performance and I would never have guessed that that was your first time in a feature film you just carried it with a lot of confidence and um, I guess that's a great chemistry between a really great director and a fantastic actress so kudos to both of you and um, Luke 
welcome. Uh, talk to us about your film and how you came to make this project. Obviously, Johnny's starring in the film as well. So um, I'll hear sure. you, but if you kick off, Luke. Yeah, so our film's called Solitary. It's a contained sci-fi film. Um, and it's about a man who wakes up inside a room to learn that he's a prisoner sent into space because the prisons are full and he's off to, to form part of uh, Earth's first colony and worse, um, he's actually trapped in the room of another prisoner who's kind of hell-bent on destroying everything. So um, yeah, it's quite exciting and you know, we made it on a shoestring. We've been trying to get our first feature off the ground for, for a good few years and we were lucky to have an opportunity where we went in to meet a company, production company, and they said, well, we're not really interested in the script you brought us, but what about that short film you've made? And um, we said, okay, and sort of went away and wrote a script really quickly and went back to them and they're like, yep, that's it. And we're like, really? And they're like, yeah. And, uh, and then that was that. And then a year ago today uh, was the, well, it was the night before the first day of the shoot. So we were, I was actually down at the, the studio stressing because the set wasn't finished. So a year ago tomorrow we were actually shooting, which is really crazy to think. Congratulations. Is that, is that your directorial debut as a feature? Yeah, it's my first feature and Johnny's first feature as, as leading man as well. As a leading guy. Wonderful. Well done, Johnny. Um, both of you are friends of the festival, have had work at the festival previously and I think a few years, 2016 and 17 perhaps, yeah. So welcome back. So Johnny, what was it like being in, in, in the driver's seat? You know, you're obviously from the shorts we've seen you in before, are a leading man, definitely. Oh, so um, what was it like to work with Luke again and get that opportunity? It's, it's, um, it was a roller coaster of a year. Like um, with Luke and I, I think in 2015, we had Shadows at the festival. Um, and, and that had a really positive response. And we've been working since then on trying to get our first feature off the ground. Um, and this, as Luke said, sort of happened uh yeah quite quite sort, sort of out of the blue we've been trying lots of different things and then uh, suddenly this happened it was yeah I feel a lot of responsibility um as the leading man uh in the film luckily I had an amazing co-star uh Lottie Tolhurst and it was yeah it, it was really exciting working with her and she was a fantastic actress um and very supportive and yeah Luke's Luke's been just brilliant uh we worked together for such a long time as well so it was it was just yeah it's one of those things you work so hard towards something and then all of a sudden it happens and yeah very very happy with what what we achieved brilliant fantastic thank you for that introduction i was just about to move on to the second question so i'll come to avril about what were some of the challenges there when you came to make this movie Oh, well, apart from trying to get some seed money just to get it in the can, um, which was impossible. Um, I think the hardest part was really completing it uh, in post. Um, mm. Imagine you've got most of what you need. You might still need a few pickups, but um, a major disaster where the edit suite and you lose most of your footage and all you've got is really the raw play out so far. <laughs> that was essentially my situation mm. um, it, was, it was a bit more nuanced than that but mm. ultimately uh, I'm not able to access my footage I'm not able to commence the director's cut which is the most basic right 
with any director, you know, any director role, unless it's stipulated in a contract that it's not actually your 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 role. You're just there to gather the uh, the footage. Um, you are assumed to be allowed to do your director's cut. Anyone would go into a film, and that's the most reasonable thing you should expect to come away with. So you you shoot it, you edit it, and if the financiers decide it's not their sort of thing, they might suggest changes that you agree with or you don't. But ultimately because you've assigned your rights as a director, they really get the choice in the end. And what you should only hope for at most is your director's cut. And because I didn't actually get the chance to make a director's cut, um, I was in a very very um, vulnerable position in that there was a production, but I couldn't explain why the situation had gone off the rails and I was totally out of any control of what was happening next. And basically it was a strange situation where it was actually being edited without me in the room. And, um, uh, you know, I had to get my union rep involved and my agent. And ultimately I didn't get my hands on my footage. So I had to figure out a way of creating the cut that I wanted um, by using anything that I could get, which was raw assembly playouts that had been um, secured by my representatives. Never really got a clear answer why the film producers had taken this um, decision mm. to make a film that wasn't quite what I'd set out to do. Mm. But the good thing is knowing about contracts, mm. because I didn't get a directing contract, the footage still belonged to me no matter what happened with it. So when another cut appeared, which was vastly inferior, <laughs> I mean, bloody awful, to be honest, um, mm and they put my name on it as the director, it was kind of a defamatory move. Mm. So I had to finish my cut. I had to commence it and finish it to show what I was really about. And that was the hardest thing. It's so it's like, your first movie ever? The first feature as a director, yes. Well, yeah, sure. But yeah, so it's really important, isn't it? I mean, this, this is a defining moment as a filmmaker when you have your directorial debut as a feature length. Mm -hmm. filmmaker so it is because in a way when you've got a film that's not good a cut of a film that's not good with your name on it mm -hmm. and you didn't have anything to do with that that's actually more destructive to your your career your reputation and your future potential mm -hmm. than it would be if you didn't have a film at all yeah absolutely um, yeah sure, sure so this was a I had to fight back and claw it back I mean in this industry everyone's got stories yeah you know very anyone, black, male, white, female, whatever, everyone will have a story where a, um, a shoot or a production has gone awry for some mm. reason and they don't really know why. Mm. And a lot of people are signed NDAs, so they can't even talk about it. Sure. But um, yeah, I, it's like having a baby. It's, it's, it's important to you to finish what you start and something that comes from the heart is not easily removed from you. Mm. So there's the business side, and then there's a creative side. And when it's not just taken away from you, but you feel like it's been mutilated, you need, you need to address it. Yeah, so for, I feel like for you, this is this, you know, um, all in a summer's day is your phoenix from the ashes, really. It's your, so. your, your breakout. No, because it's a stunning movie, you know, as you said before, you know, it's about a female, it's about a journey. And I think there's been, from what you're saying now to the audience, a journey 
within the film, but also a, 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 a parallel journey for you as a fil filmmaker and a female filmmaker and a black female filmmaker. Um, I don't look like Antonia Thomas. It's <laughs> yeah. still, you know, and, and I think that's it. It's, it's about who we become in the process and then yeah. the story we get at the end of it as well, because everybody just sees the new baby and is, oh, gorgeous, that a great film, well done. But obviously there's a delivery process and there's trimesters and there's situations going on. Yeah. I'm yes. a new mum, everyone. So obviously I'm like, you know, baby stuff is like at the forefront of my mind. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's, that's really interesting. And thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. Uh, now that we've got Misha back, uh, for you, what was, one challenging moment that you had working on Tales of the Fatherless? Um, <laughs> um, would you say like um, at, during the film or like the production side of things? Either, whether it was pre-production, post-production or I'd say, afterwards. Yeah, I say pre-production for me because not having the finances at, at the first point when we actually started the film, literally we had the idea was literally drawing finances from everywhere and trying to apply for funding. Um, we just, it was a very low budget film. However, from what we did with a low budget, I think we did a great, but imagine if we had more money, <laughs> we could do so much more. Um, and because we had a low budget, we couldn't get um, as much extras as we wanted um, and bigger locations and things like that. But the cast that we did end up with in the end, um, um, even though we couldn't pay them as much as we would want to pay them, they put in so much effort. They was like a family. I've never worked with such an amazing group of people. Knowing that it was our first feature film and that um, they were a part of it, they really wanted to, especially in Birmingham, there's not, you don't really get much in Birmingham at the moment. So it was everybody really put their foot into, even though we were working for nothing, to be honest. Um, they did such a good job and the crew, amazing as well. So. Um, it, the setback was really the finances, not having enough support on that end, not enough mentorship, not enough um, people, the big, big names that could come out and literally just kind of help us out. So I think um, we did what, good with what we could, to be honest, but um, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I totally um, get that. Stefan, would you add to that or is that pretty much it for you as well? As the no, I, 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 I would definitely add, um, we got very close to the end of shooting and then COVID hit. And, okay. and we literally, there were a few pickup scenes that we wanted to do, but we had to rejig things and shoot things to the point where um, some, of the, some of the final scenes that we shot, literally I had to go out with my wife and, and, and just do a couple scenes just to try and complete the story. Um, there was a there was a situation where we had to get um, one of our artists to do to record their own phone call and send it over to us just so that we could get the final bit. So COVID really had a it it really kicked us in the teeth right, and it was so close to the end. We but I mean it, it stretched it stretched us. It made us have to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. What can we do to 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 wrap this story up and, and give it what it really needed. Sure. Um, and I think based on the, the decisions that we made, I think we did quite well considering everything, literally, as soon as that locked up, as soon as, that, yeah, this film nearly didn't get completed for buff is, is really how it is. So, 
So that that was a challenge, but we're here. We're still can standing. I just, can I add to that as well, Stefan? Um, so you know Stefan's married to my my twin sister. Um, she's also one of the characters in the film. Yeah. And she wasn't pregnant when we started filming. And then, <laughs> so the, we obviously the film wasn't finished, but um, when we were still filming, so we started filming. I think it was like August, September. She got pregnant in September. In September, so she, you couldn't tell. But then, near enough seven months, which COVID kicked in, we had to try and hide her pregnancy. And obviously, her <laughs> body had changed. Her face was bigger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> literally, it was it was a bit. You you might be able to tell in the film like, oh, where she's pregnant yeah. and when she's not. You might not if you've got some very good camera tricks, so maybe you won't be able to tell. But that's a, a spoiler for you. Check when she's oh, pregnant. Well, I'll, I'll rewatch it again then today, and I will. I'll try and see if I can spot that that baby. Glam. And you know what's <laughs> ironic as well? Her character isn't the type of character that would have got pregnant in the film. So <laughs> yeah, 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 she's very prim and proper in the film. Like, yeah, fantastic character. Awesome. <laughs> and George, just taking yourself off of mute. Uh, for you, what was uh, some of the challenges, if any, that you encountered? I mean, there was a lot of challenges the whole time. The whole thing was challenging because we started off with, we just started off with five grand to film a scene, basically. And from our mentor was just like, okay, that, you know, it'd been a few, like a year and a half since we'd done our last drama. And he was like, oh, so you got any other scripts you're kicking around? So he gave us five grand and we he just said look get some like mics and do it yourself and let's just see where that goes so we filmed one scene and then we kind of raised a bit more money to shoot a bunch more scenes but it wasn't enough to finish the script so we had filmed with the lead the two leads and then one of them got like this massive play that she couldn't turn down and it was like six days or well, seven days a week she was working so it was just like, okay for three months we couldn't shoot with her and she's in the majority of the film so we were like we are wow, three whole months yeah and because we were like again i heard you saying like you couldn't pay the people as much as you wanted to and we were in a similar situation so we were like okay so we're just gonna have to go to the edit what we've got but you know we shot a scene at the end and then we shot this here so i was like oh, i don't I'm editing all these scenes, but I can't edit anything together or I'd end the beginning of a scene or the outside of a scene. And it was like, we kind of, if we knew that was going to happen, we would have probably chosen a, maybe a different chunk of the movie to shoot. And then she had to like cut her hair. And then it was like, she turned out, she's like, I've only trimmed it a bit. And then we went to her, we went to the play and it was like, I'm looking at Adriana. She's cut a lot of her hair off. <laughs> you know, if you watch it back, you might see it, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Um, so then that like would really. We were just worried because we'd had loads of other actors on board who are equally busy, mm. and we'd be like, so then once she came back, another actor who has shared a lot of her scenes was on a film, and then it was like, oh, my God. we were just scared someone was gonna like shave off all their hair or have to bleach their hair or something something where we were just like how are we going to go around that so at the time it was very challenging now looking back I'm like it's a miracle that we kind of didn't someone didn't have to get booked up for even longer or like when she came back it was just perfect timing that we could just finish off her scenes yeah. um, and I did hear like a I think Spike Lee said it he's like he likes to shoot you know the first two acts of his movies then edit 
and then see if there's something missing or maybe something that will change in act three from what they've filmed so we kind of got to do that edit the film and see oh maybe we could go revisit that scene and just shoot maybe a few more takes of this or maybe that we need to put the more emphasis on this character in that scene so it kind of gave us insight that I don't think you would get if you just had to shoot everything in four weeks straight you'd have a even though we did have to do pickups, it just helped when we did the second stage of production, really. So experience, isn't it, going from a short to a feature? And um, I mean, on the positive side of the feature, you've got a little bit more time to recover. So on our first day, uh, our set wasn't finished <laughs> until like lunchtime, and uh, our camera broke, our red camera broke, and that was exciting. So um, that did lose us a day, and we only actually had 10 shooting days which was insane. I mean, we were doing like 10, 11 pages a day. I think there were a couple of days we did like 15, um, which was really not ideal because it did mean that, you know, four actors were getting like one really solid performance of a, of a scene and then that was it. And it might have been done in one shot. And then there were other scenes where we took the time and we, we had loads of shots. So um, that was a bit harsh for them, I think, because uh, they, they couldn't take the risks that they, they might have done if we'd had more time. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, we had awesome stuff like the soundstage wasn't actually soundproof. So we had um, sirens and all sorts in the middle of takes. So, um, yeah, but, you know, we battled through and it was good fun and we finished it, which is the main thing. Yeah, for real, man. Kudos for that. It's true. Just even have it finished and obviously have it in the can and edited as well, because on my film, No Shade, I found that um, when we looked at the rushes, some of the hard drive had frozen. So oh, we lost some footage and I was like, fuck, because one of my actresses had just migrated to Maryland, LA, or, or not LA, um, America and wasn't able to come back otherwise her green card would be compromised it was just headache so yeah. basically I just had to do with having kind of one perspective as opposed to having the back and forth perspective of a really um interesting argument and so yeah you just feel like oh, damn man you know what I mean those challenges as well as all the other challenges on set like cast crew lighting blah 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 it's yeah, it's really like big kudos to you for all of you for getting your film finished. And therefore, on the, on the flip side of that, um, I'll start with you, Johnny, in the sense of is there, a, is there a scene in the film, since you are the lead, that you, every time you see it, like, this is why I'm an actor. This is what <laughs> we do film for. Tell us, and feel free to drop spoilers because obviously people are going to be watching it right now. So tell us. Yeah, so the film the film has a lot of action in it, and we started off with some. I say a lot of action for yeah, with what we did, what we could with what we had. So it starts with, with some big action sequences, and I um, I enjoy those moments, and I never, but I never really understand how they're gonna come out. Like I try not to think too much like a director and just let Luke do his thing and do as I'm told, and you know that's what you're there for as an actor. Um, and seeing those sequences when they're finally edited together, because Luke um, edited the film as well and did wow. pretty much, I mean, did pretty much all, did, I don't think there was one visual effects shot that you didn't touch in the film. So like seeing all of that come together was was epic. Um, but then for me, as an actor, I think as an actor, the juicy stuff where you get, so there, there were some really nice moments where there's just me 
um, and the other, the lead actor, and we're just, the dialogue's popping and there's a really nice juicy scene. There's a lot of stuff going on underneath. Um, and you don't quite know which direction it's going to go in. And we were given, I think like, like Luke said, because, because we were trying to pick up on time, there were, there were some moments where we couldn't spend as much time, mm. but we had those moments. It was really nice to spend the time and the variations and the subtle differences and you can really listen to the other person and if they're giving you something slightly different you can react in a different way and it's ex I, I get really excited when someone does something that I don't expect I quite like the danger of that um I think that's what makes an interesting actor is, is yeah. as well so yeah that that for me that was those are the, the yeah the juicy bits the action sequences and how they came out and then so the gritty dialogue moments as well, really exciting. Brilliant, and Luke, do you share those sentiments or is there another kind of seminal moment in the film that really makes you feel proud as a director? Um, gosh, that is such a good question. I, I actually think that probably not the obvious moments. I've, yeah, I definitely look at, there's a couple of scenes where, you know, the, the two leads are having a, an argument and it's, um, it's quite spontaneous and it's just really fun to watch. And I think the thing that viewers will never know is that we were under so much pressure. I mean, it was the end of the day to get those shots and they had like one go at it and they just nailed it. And, you know, thankfully it cut together perfectly. And that was that, you know, because if it hadn't, we didn't have any money to go back and reshoot it. And that was, I guess <laughs> we just get a right. really short yeah. film. Yeah, so. <laughs> no pressure, Johnny, but this is the only take. You fuck this up, bro. It's on, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Super. And Ruby, was there a moment as you watch it back, because I'm sure you've seen the whole film, um, some actors choose not to, to see their work, yeah. um, but I hope that you have, that you think, oh yeah, I did myself proud on that one. I gave it all I got and it comes through in that particular scene. Or is there maybe one or two moments? I'd say the, the scene at the end when they go to visit the mother's grave. Um, and... Yeah, I'd say I, I'd say that scene. That scene, and what did it what did it do for you emotionally? It, it, it was a big it was a big release. I mm -hmm. felt I felt after it I felt you know lighter when mm -hmm. walking, you know, and um, that was what Yakira needed. Mm. You know, she needed she needed that time. Um, so yeah, it, it really wrapped it up nicely. It, it was cathartic to do. Super. You did that lovely little thing as well, where you grabbed onto the shoulders of your sister and your dad, and you, you did that little skip into the air. Yes, at the you end. You kind yeah. of said all of that without saying a word. It was really, it was a lovely little touch. Well, was that intended, Ed, or was that just? No, no, that was that. Yeah, that was. Yeah, she should have got a writing credit. That was all her. <laughs> <laughs> I love those little moments, isn't it, where you know the actress the actor just you know comes into their own and just adds something that you just totally wasn't looking for but actually it's the gravy isn't it it just gave it that extra juice or sweetness that just really brings the whole scene together totally. but it wasn't there but you know they created it for you yeah, and that, that, could be, it that, could very, that could be very humbling because you can see it one way and they do something you go no that's not wrong that's not what i want mm. and then you kind of mm. pause and go well hang on that's that's actually not what I imagined, but it's better than I, you know, 
yes get your own kind of shit out of the way to sort of just see what's happening and, and enjoy that and make a virtue of that beautiful mm. and so lastly um if you had unlimited funds ed what mm. would the next project be what would you like to what other stories would you like to tell it would be a female version of james bond with ruby playing bond bond yay and uh, we'd be on a dead start on a desert island and spend a t- shitload of money from there on no I have no idea I have no idea that's that you know I mean I actually really like the what so what I've really enjoyed that I never anticipated was the whole was is the whole fest you know this the whole kind of indie festival scene mm-hmm. and the people involved in it I mean we're we're up to eight official selections now and we, we've just you know won best narrative feature at Aesthetica, which means an awful lot to us. Oh, we love Aesthetica. We're good friends with Sherry and Gang and they're beautiful people. Yeah, and a great little festival, right? And so, so, you know, I mean, just, I just want the, um, you know, so I actually like this type of filmmaking. Mm. Um, I like this type of filmmaking, you know, and it's something you've got to remember, it's almost the antidote to what I do, which is you know, my, my bread and butter is in is in uh, short format, which makes which makes me which I earn a kind of you know living out of. Uh, but um, so so this is kind of the antidote to that. So if it went yeah. the other way, if it was a big feature, I don't know where, how that would pan out. But I think the themes that I, that are in the film, in this film that I'd written, was, would be similar. I like the the notion of something that helps us and is get quite giving and quite um psychological and mm. to some degree mystical without being contrived uh, yeah I mean I didn't want the film to be in social realism I didn't want it to be another British kind of you know four kids on a council state with an alcoholic yeah. you know I want it to be deliberately entertaining and I hope that's what this film is I hope you kind of sit through it and watch it and enjoy it as a you know as a as a piece of entertainment yes yeah I think I think viewers definitely will they're going to be watching the film via our website uh, for two weeks so they yeah I'm sure people will have a look at it I mean it, it does cut you know it does open up as almost like social realism in the sense of the home the family home the domestic situation is clearly a breakdown in communication between dad mom stepsister we're not quite sure what Ruby's relationship is with her little sister yeah and then it kind of slowly unfolds yeah. um or rapidly and then obviously she's you know a teenager or you know a woman in her late teens 20s so there's that relationship she's got going on and yeah this is yeah it kind of really opens up but I think it's relatable but obviously like you say because of the dreams and some slight abstract moments there and those internalized moments as well yeah. Um, there's quite a lot to take in yeah and then I think your personal story does come through as well you can get a sense that something's being unpacked here this yeah. is not just your regular story yeah, yeah. very very special piece yeah. Ruby we've got unlimited funds and I'm a casting director what's the script that you want to receive into your inbox what could what would you love to be casting next oh um Look, if if Lars von Trier or Lynn Ramsey wanted to hire me, hey. I'd be there. Yeah, I would be so there. I, I'd love I'd love to work with one of those directors or or David Lynch. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, I love indie films, but for me, mm. for me, independent films is is what I want to do more more so than the commercial world. 
Sure. Um, so a- anything really independent, anything interesting and just, you know, just good scripts and good people. I think with this film, everybody loved the script. And so when everyone came to it, they were just putting their, everyone's hearts were in the right place mm-hmm. for making this film. And I think that's what made it work and made it all come together. So I just love to experience another how to stop a recurring dream, to be honest. Superb. Brilliant. Thank you guys both so much. Ruby, I'm just going to start with you. Uh, where can we find you on social media? We wanted to stay in touch. Find me on Instagram at Ruby Barker or on Twitter at Real Ruby Barker. Lovely. And Ed, what's your social media handles for you, for you as a director, creative and for the film, if you have so, one? Yeah, my personal one is Morrisism, Morrisism, so M-O-R-R-I-S and then I-S-M. And there is uh, Instagram for how to stop a recurring dream as well, which is just uh, spelt out all one word. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes up there, updates on the film, behind the scenes shots. And um, yeah, I mean, actually, Ruby's just about to star in a big Netflix series coming out in the UK. I was just about to ask that. So Yeah, I mean, so so this, uh, if you got, it's interesting at the moment because there's a lot of stuff bouncing around between the two, which is, I mean... Yes. The Netflix series is getting a lot more hits than the How to Stop a Going Dream. We're a tiny little movie, but it's nice to see because the characters are very different and Ruby is saying more. Yes, you can, Go you, ahead, can watch, you can watch me on, um, on Netflix on Christmas Day in Bridgerton. Bridgerton, brilliant. And I believe it's written, is it by Shonda Rhimes? It's, it's produced by Shonda Rhimes and it's written by Chris Van Dusen and his amazing team at Shondaland amazing and it's you know that that for you could mean you know a whole host of things I'm really really excited for you and congratulations we love to see more you know I don't know if you call yourself do you call yourself black British what's your uh what how do you identify I identify as black British yeah yeah that's I mean that's just a beautiful to see more faces like yours on our small screens big screens this is this is what it's all about. And um, what's what's the role? Can you talk too much about Bridgerton? So um, I'm playing a, quite a scandalous lady. Because um, <laughs> of a smile. Who comes from the countryside into London society, and basically she's got to find an advantageous match, but she's got a few problems, um, a few secrets that she can't reveal. So cool. yeah. Good. Congratulations. And we'll be watching for sure. Thank you. You're so welcome. Ed, Ruby, thank you both so much for your time. As I said, Ed, we'll send you the link so that you can watch this uh, when the festival goes live. Right. And uh, just thank you both for your time. Stay in touch. Lots thank of love. You. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. Bye. See Goodbye. Thanks for showing up. Misha, I was just um, thinking, obviously, in the flip side of this. So what, what's your most proudest moment in the movie? Obviously, oh. as a filmmaker, we have to watch our work. And then we're like, oh, my God, I'm sick of this project. I never want to see this again. And then, obviously, if you, if this is your festival premiere or world premiere for you in terms of the first time an audience is seeing it in any capacity, what, what's that scene that you watch and you think, God, we smashed that? What's oh, that my goodness. Gosh, just like you know, there's so many like good scenes in there. Um, there's what there's a couple of scenes near the end which draw the whole um, film together. Um, there's one that represents um, 
Jesus and two thieves on the cross and the way that they're sitting and the conversation, the dialogue that they have um, about fatherhood and how the journey of their lives and the struggle of what they all go through sums up the whole story all in one. And by way that it goes into the last thing, which I can't tell you because I don't want to spoil it, mm-hmm. but um, the seeing how it's all brought together at the very end, it's so beautiful. And the way that they embrace and the way that um, the shows forgiveness and grace and it just makes a cry every time even the backing track which is sung so beautifully by one of our artists they it's it's, it's so beautiful and I can't wait for you to see it you will cry if you engage with these characters the way that we have but yeah wonderful hello Adriana I'm just going to bring you in mate um just off the fly we've heard from Georgie about um some of the journey of making the film he's just given us a lovely discussion about some of the actors shaving their or cutting their hair or three months of it at a time sort of being in the theatre and you know some various challenges with regards to you know what it's like indie filmmaking you're on the tightest of budgets you know some of your budgets are the sort of stuff that people you know big studios spend on cab fare you know <laughs> let's put it into context so um we're looking at sort of brighter moments in the sense of what is one of the scenes or a few that you're kind of really, really proud of that you're able to achieve when you watch your own movie, because mm-hmm. people are going to go away and watch Small City on our website. Yeah. What, what scene are you, do you want them to sort of be looking forward to watching? Well, so that's a real tough one because uh, there are moments of like some of the hardest days are the scenes we are happiest with. And yeah, uh, I would say there's, Oh, what's a good example? I mean, the end scene in Portugal, just because the, the I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't seen the film, but they get to Portugal. And there's a, just the fact that we had a certain amount of battery left on the camera. The sun was going down. There really was no way we were going to be able to reshoot and get everyone back to Portugal. It was that kind of like, that was it. And yeah, yeah, and it and it was like everybody just really like stood up and was like, okay, it was there was no messing around. Everyone was like military precision, incredibly like focused, and uh, we we really we got it. Everybody played their part, so I'm really proud of that that we what we pulled off there. But uh, there are so many other scenes and days and sort of working with other actors that that was just so incredibly rewarding. And yeah, we feel really blessed to have been able to. To have those to have those scenes come together really yeah i think that would be the portugal one i don't know well, georgie does that feel i'd add one more moment is like because we had shot the film like with a very small crew yeah you know, there was four of us you know and then sometimes maybe if we had a steady cam there'd be six but it was never more than really four and there was a bunch of lots of it is shot in cars and we had like small cameras on the side of the car so obviously when you're filming a scene with two people in a car, you know, there needs to be a driver and then someone recording sound. So then it would just be me and Adri- Adriana would be driving. I'd be miking up them, checking the monitors on the screens. And then these two, the two leads are like talking to each other. And it's the first time in a film, cause they're like thrust into this situation together. They're strangers, they don't know each other. They're from two different worlds. So it's very tricky to write dialogue. Like what would they say what would they not say? What would they kind of just feel out between each other? So we got to like, it's just me and Adriano just driving around in the circles in this car for like, you know, like two hours and we just kept on like going over the dialogue and then it just became so real. 
and like the silences between them and their looks away and it just like we kind of got lost and it would just be like okay can we just keep doing this like whenever yeah, you get like to a chance. and no you're so right and that, that scene in particular sorry now that i can actually unfold my brain that scene in particular it was just because it was just the four of us georgie uh, uh eddie and and isabella and it really kind of like it got so intimate it was like it was like almost like a trance. Like you could just tell that people were willing to go way further in terms of how deep they were going to dig for it. Like really take off all the shield and the armor. And we all did like we, it was palpable. Like we were in the car, we were feeling it too. You know, it was like, and it was definitely all of a sudden you just started to hear that something was going on and it was changing and they were going to deeper places. So yeah, absolutely. Georgie, thank you for, for saying that. Cause that was really the one we thought. And it's funny cause we were just watching a document, um, like an interview with Soderbergh and he's talking about, when he shot traffic he ended up uh operating on it himself and he talked about that intimacy that it built up between him and the actors it became so close and kind of and, and it heightened everything and i definitely yeah gee that that i would say forget the end bit in portugal it was that scene in terms of what he was saying is like that's yeah you can have two you can have two okay great <laughs> those two yeah. wonderful thank you Adriano. and just lastly from you avril what was that scene for you that you look at and you think, yeah, man, I did my thing. It was, yeah. Um, I would say about. it's those moments when you watch the actor and you don't remember writing what they're doing. Mm. Um, and I think Antonia, hopefully she felt empowered enough that you just wind her up and Jamie and you let them go. They know the content of the scene. They know the end point. And anything that happens in between the beginning and the end, I trust them absolutely. And they were finding things that, not only that I couldn't write, but there's no word for it, it these human nuances. Um, and, and as a combination, they they created one particular moment, I think. In, I can't tell you what it is, but you'll probably know it when you see it, that I just let her take her time. I let him take his time say what he thinks and it, it became real and I thought oh no should I phone the police <laughs> no I, I, I like when they, they do things and you forget that it came from a script and that, that's the most fulfilling thing because that suddenly makes you a punter it makes you an audience member mm -hmm. and then you get that fresh objective view and then you realize this is a standard you have to try and keep up mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, really, really exciting stuff. So lastly, last questions, everyone, just um, thinking about your next projects and what you've learned from all of your wonderful films, you know, if you had unlimited funds, what story would you like to tell next? I'll come to you, Stefan. Oh, um, the film that I've got, um, that if I had unlimited budget, I've got this film which is a, a British urban street dance movie. Um, it's, it's again, it's a coming of age. It talks or plays into what kids and young people used to do when they would go to like um, dance classes, but also the, the element of the, the, the smaller independent rawness of youth clubs where they used to just kind of like see moves in music videos and then kind of just clash each other. It's, mm -hmm. it, it, there's, especially coming up, I mean, uh, Sade 
uh, my wife dancer and I used to dance as well growing up and we a lot of the most fondest memories used to be when we were out at youth clubs and and somebody would put a beat on we weren't like rappers and MCs but then and it was like a lot of it was dance a lot of it was just like street dance and popping and locking and um and working out new moves and and I've got this this idea of this story of just uh, a, a a young person finding themselves and finding their who they are through nice. the means of expression of street dance where the because I, I get I get the feels straight away that we're talking about 90s yeah yeah because yeah, I think post 90s kids are not kids in that sense you know youth club now is not there's no youth clubs mainly in the yeah. main or throughout the country and if they are they're places sadly for things like grooming in the sense of you know for shot in and you know selling drugs and you know more more kind of adult material but I remember that youth club was everything as soon as yeah. the school bell rang you ran to the youth club and you couldn't wait to do some level of formation and you know whilst <laughs> <laughs> yeah. playing you know dodgeball or some other apparatus game you know you you could be a child you know and um, that was really celebrated. Wow, that's lovely. That's really that nostalgic. Really that cool, just yeah. took me way back. And I saw Georgie <laughs> nodding his head. So I'm going to come to Georgie, who was also thinking probably about the tracks that he used to dance to. And <laughs> yeah. Well, mine's going to be very, very, very different. Um, okay. It's just one of my favourite films. It's an, a Japanese animation called Akira. Oh. To basically do that shot for shot but live action, just if you could do that, it would just be the best, it would be the blockbuster. It would also be, it's got a crazy message about spirituality and kind of something I still don't really understand now. Every time I watch it, I'll learn something new. Um, but I just think that if you're telling me I could get any budget and I'm like, okay, we're going to do that yeah. live action though. Yeah. And like all wow. the camera techniques you would need and all the rigs. Um, basically, Japanese actors as well, because you could. I think they were going to remake it in America, like yeah. Japanese actors. It just doesn't make sense. It's Akira. Yeah, so I think that would be just. To, and basically, because it's a, an amazing storyboard, anyway, because it was a graphic novel. So I think there would be so much to draw from, and even the graphic novel, it goes into like the backstory of the whole like mythology of the the film, and I just think. Well, if you got the money, I'd do that basically. <laughs> Thank you again. Very nostalgic when you're talking about Akira. <laughs> yeah. And I think about child, you know, manga, you know, just different things that we, you just, yeah, you just didn't understand the context of it, but you knew that it was something very special. Yeah. Very alternative. Yeah. Avril, what about you? Unlimited well, I have to resist. Stuff. If I get a big budget, I have to resist making about five or six films out of it. If it had to be one film, oh, I would either make Storm, the feature film of Storm for Marvel, mm -hmm. or feature film of The Crimson Avenger for DC. Other than that, um, my own properties, I've got a film where I just smash up loads of cars, there are loads of stunts, car chases. There's a human story in it, but... It's <laughs> 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 always like quite therapeutic as well. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah I mean, it's, you know, there's a heist <laughs> element, but it's not stealing things. There's a getaway element, but it's not where you're going. It's <laughs> it's where you think you're going. So it's a mystery. It's a thriller. It's action. All with a female lead. So if anyone's interested, you know, I've got the script. 
<laughs> well, you know, I'm an actor and Stefan's wife is, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> send us the script love. Adriano, what about you? Hard to top remaking Akira shot for shot. Uh, yeah, I just that that would literally be that would be pretty amazing. I mean, that's I'd be making it with Georgie. Uh, so I guess we'd be doing that. There's we've got a few other projects that we've been writing, which they're not necessarily massive blockbuster budgets, but I'm sure they could be some of them could be turned into that. Um, but for the for the for the most part, I'd say maybe if you had a massive budget, it might be an opportunity. Uh, and like a bit of responsibility to make something, do do a historical account of something that hasn't really been recognised or hasn't been depicted in 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 cinema before. Uh, there's like the, the Muslim version of Schindler in Paris, uh, World War Two, who sheltered loads of Jewish guys in the basement of his mosque. That's probably a movie the world could do with right now. Uh, so that yeah, maybe if I had a massive budget, that's one of the ideas. But that it'd be difficult not to do Akira shot for shot. Okay, <laughs> I've got you sold on that. And lastly, Misha. Oh, well, if you was living in my house for the past six months, you'd know that I'm obsessed with Hamilton at the moment. I've watched Hamilton about 15 times, and more I can that. honestly say that. More than that. It's, it's probably, yeah, probably more than that. I'm, I'm obsessed with that, everything a day. So, with that being said, obviously, with the whole um, Black Lives Matter things that have been happening this year as well, and my obsession with Hamilton. I was thinking about ways that I could do something very similar, but has more representation of me and my culture as well. Um, so I was thinking, okay, picture this. Okay, a hip hop musical based on the lives of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. So it's about their story and it's based from music and it's also about faith because obviously um, Martin was Christian and Malcolm was Muslim. Yeah. And so, their stories intertwined because they were actually processing at the same time and they both died three years within each other yeah. and so both got shot so it's just like the whole their whole story is interlinked so it's about their connection um how they made a way in history for people of color and about faith as well so hip-hop so it just brings something that I, I love and relates to our culture as well and about the, our history and everything that's happened so if I had a unlimited budget that's what it'll go to if you had unlimited funds, Ed, what would the next project be? What would you like to, what other stories would you like to tell? It would be a female version of James Bond with Ruby playing Bond Bond. Yay. And uh, we'd be on a dead, start on a desert island and spend a shitload of money from there on. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> great. I yeah, accept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. That's, that, you know, I mean, I actually really like the what so what I've really enjoyed that I never anticipated was the whole was is the whole fest you know the, the whole kind of indie festival scene mm -hmm. and the people involved in it I mean we're we're up to eight official selections now and we, we've just you know won best narrative feature at Aesthetica which means an awful lot to us all. oh we love Aesthetica we're good friends with Sherry right. and the gang and they're beautiful people yeah and a great little festival right and yeah. so so you know, I mean, it just I just want the um, you know. So I actually like this type of filmmaking. Mm. Um, I like this type of filmmaking, you know. And it's something you've got to remember. It's almost the antidote to what I do, which is, you know, my, my bread and butter is in is in uh, short format, which makes which makes me which I earn a kind of you know living out of. Uh, but um, so so this is kind of the antidote to that. So if it went yeah. the other way, if it was a big feature, I don't know where, how that would pan out but I think the themes that, I, that are in the film 
in this film that I'd written that would be similar. I like the, the notion of something that helps us and is get quite giving and quite um, psychological and mm. to some degree mystical without being contrived. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want the film to be in social realism. I didn't want it to be another British kind of, you know, four kids on a council estate with an alcoholic yeah. mum. You know, I want it to be deliberately entertaining. And I hope that's what this film is. I hope you kind of sit through it and watch it and enjoy it as a, you know, as a, as a piece of entertainment. Yes, yeah, I think, I think viewers definitely will. They're gonna be watching the film via our website uh, for two weeks. So they, yeah, I'm sure people will have a look at it. I mean, it, it does cut, you know, it does open up as almost like social realism in the sense of the home, the family home, the domestic situation is clearly a breakdown in communication between dad, mom, stepsister, we're not quite sure what Ruby's relationship is with her little sister. Yeah. And then it kind of slowly unfolds yeah. um, or rapidly. And then obviously she's, you know, a teenager or, you know, a woman in her late teens, 20s. So there's that relationship she's got going on. And yeah, is, yeah, it kind of really opens up. But I think it's relatable. But obviously, like you say, because of the dreams and some slight abstract moments there and those internalized moments as well. Yeah. Um, there's quite a lot to take in. Yeah. And then I think your personal story does come through as well. You can get a sense that something's being unpacked here. This yeah. is not just your regular story. Yeah. yeah. Very, very special piece. Yeah. Ruby, we've got unlimited funds and I'm a casting director. What's the script that you want to receive into your inbox? What, could, what would you love to be casting next? Oh, um, Look, if, if Lars von Trier or Lynn Ramsey wanted to hire me, hey. I'd be there. Yes. I would be so there. I, I'd, love, I'd love to work with one of those directors or, or David Lynch. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, I love indie films, but for me, mm. for me, independent films is, is what I want to do, more, more so than the commercial world. Sure. Um, so anything really independent, anything interesting and just, you know, just good scripts and good people. I think with this film, everybody loved the script. And so when everyone came to it, they were just putting their, everyone's hearts were in the right place mm -hmm. for making this film. And I think that's what made it work and made it all come together. So I just love to experience another how to stop a recurring dream, to be honest. Superb, brilliant. Luke. Last question, you've got unlimited funds. What's the next film we'll make him? God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, opposite, the opposite problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to, um, I love the, the, you know, the mega blockbuster films that, you know, Christopher Nolan and Star Wars and all the, all of the mainstream commercial fodder that, you know, a lot of us indies kind of seek, you know, turn our noses up to sometimes, but secretly really enjoy, you know, and, I'd love to go and make something, you know, an action thriller or something with some, you know, some big action scenes and set pieces. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, I think we realised during this this project that, you know, we had like two or three days to shoot action and it's just, you can spend weeks shooting that stuff. And I think actually it's the time that, you know, you really benefit from in any kind of filmmaking craft. I'm sure it's the same in comedy or drama or, or whatever. The more time you can spend on it, the better it's going to be because you can really... Uh -huh tune those performances so um i think that's the thing that we we missed the most i i kind of love to have made this film with an unlimited budget it was super 
And um, Johnny, what, what film would you love to be? What would your next leading role be like if you had your pick of the litter for, for scripts? I mean, that's, that, that's, that's a big question as well. Yeah. Um, I'd really like to get myself, um, I'd, I'd really like to get my teeth into a, a series, I think, actually, at this point. Like, I love film. Um, I always find it heartbreaking when a film's over because you've made, you, you build such sort of intense relationships with everyone. Um, and then it, you know, at the end of the film, Luke and I just kind of sat there in the car together and went, and, and, and that's it. <laughs> and that's it. It's done. Um, you know, we, we sort of, yeah, I dropped Luke home and drove home and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've had the opportunity to work on sort of a TV series for about a year. And I just loved, I don't know, man, I, I love being in that world. I love being on set. I love being around people. I just, I like, it's where I feel at home. So uh, I also feel as an actor, you, you really get to, develop a character and get to know the character and you see them sort of before and after events and, and all of that. So um, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there that I'd like to get my teeth into. So yeah, maybe I'd quite like, I don't know, a, a, a really dark gritty drama, like something like Mindhunter or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or a, a cop series or something like that yeah gosh uh i'm the most disorganized person ever um you can find me ranting on twitter as frontier woman not frontier woman dash because that's an american lunatic just frontier <laughs> woman with my name on the front um and from there you may find my website if i actually get it sorted out superb stefan uh you can find me at uh, www.stefandavis.com you can find me on socials under Stefan Davis acts or the main one I use is Instagram which is stefandavis.co.uk Awesome, thank you. George? Georgie? Um, I'm Georgie Curran and director of Small City I'm not really the best on social media, I've got an Instagram and I don't know what the handle is off the top of my head right now. We've got vimeo.com forward slash Villa Nova Curran and that's got all of our previous work, a couple of our short films on there. There's instagram.com small city the movie, I think. Um, and Villanova Curran, that one. Yeah, then there's a Villanova Curran one. Villain over current. All right, cool. Villain over yeah. current. It's just Villain over current. Is the candle? Is it on Instagram? Yeah. yeah. Is that where we can find you as well, Adriana? Yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cheers, yeah. mate. And lastly, Misha, where can we find you? Oh, my personal Instagram account is Misha M I S H A underscore Nadine N A D I N E. Um, that's my Instagram. My company, Gap Entertainment, is Gap underscore Entertainment on Instagram. That's more updated. We also have a website, the same name, Gap Entertainment. Um, so those are the main things. Facebook as well, the same names, and Misha and Gap Entertainment. So, yeah. Oh, there's also the Tale of the Fatherless Instagram page as well, which is the Tale of the Fatherless, but um, it's Tale of the Fatherless with underscores. So lose the there and just tell of the underscores part. under each after each word tell underscore yeah. of underscore the because we'll put this up on the screen uh where can we find you on social media we wanted to stay in touch 
Find me on Instagram at Ruby Barker or on Twitter at Real Ruby Barker. Lovely. And Ed, what's your social media handles for you, for you as a director, creative and for the film, if you have so, one? Yeah, my personal one is Morrisism, Morrisism, so M-O-R-R-I-S and then I-S-M. And there is uh, Instagram for how to stop a recurring dream as well, which is just uh, spelt out all one word. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes up there, updates on the film, behind the scenes shots. And um, yeah, I mean, actually, Ruby's just about to star in a big Netflix series coming out in the UK. I was just about to ask that. So yeah, I mean, so so this uh, if you got, it's interesting at the moment because there's a lot of stuff bouncing around between the two, which is, I mean, the, the Netflix series is getting a lot more hits than the How to Stop a Going Dream. We're a tiny little movie, but it's nice to see because the characters are very different and Ruby is saying more. Yes, you can, Go ahead, you, can watch, you can watch me on um, on Netflix on Christmas Day in Bridgerton. Bridgerton, brilliant. And I believe it's written, is it by Shonda Rhimes? It's it's produced by Shonda Rhimes and it's written by Chris Van Dusen and his amazing team at Shondaland. Amazing. And it's, you know, that, that for you could mean, you know, a whole host of things. I'm really, really excited for you and congratulations. We love to Thank see you. more, you know. I don't know if you call yourself, do you call yourself Black British? What's your, uh, what, how do you identify? I identify as Black British, yeah. Black British, yeah. That's, I mean, that's just a beautiful to see more faces like yours on our small screens, big screens. This is, this is what it's all about. So, uh, we're at Solitary Movie. Uh, Luke and I are Inspired Pictures, so at Inspired Pictures. And me personally, at Johnny Station uh, for my socials. Perfect. Luke? And obviously the same for the film, but my personal one is Luke J. Armstrong. Wonderful. Oh, look. Sorry, I was late, guys. Really sorry about that. But, um... No, 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 you're, you're fine. Uh, couldn't be helped. Thank you guys so much for joining us for the British Urban Film Festival Drama 2 Showcase. You've heard from the directors. Their work is on our website right now for you to buy, rent and watch. www.britishurbanfilmfestival.co.uk also look out for the uh, nominations for the Buff Awards as well. Some of these films might be in contention. Um, and also you can follow all of the buffness via our social medias at Buff Connects on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Claire Anyamo Sigwe. You can follow me at Claire Anyamo. And yeah, go, go forth on Prosper. Enjoy the films and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Great meeting you all. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.